Praise God. Well, we're going to get into God's Word tonight. We started two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a series called Spirit, Soul, and Body. And it really comes from this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That means set you apart completely. That means holy. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I sensed a, a little while ago as I was praying about where to go and certain things and where certain things that need to, you know, we need to make adjustments and where, where we all need to grow and mature. And I sensed, and it fits together from another number of contexts. It fits together because it's in many cases where we need to grow. It's in some places as to prepare us for the time that we're in right now. What we're going to talk about is a good thing to understand anyway, but especially where we are right now. And as I was, uh, we were doing the, the prayer meeting last night, it was, more of a, it was more of a teaching, it was more of a prayer school last night as we talked about, uh, there, again, during worship, some things went off in me last night, and it's about the power, Paul says, I did not come to you, and I spoke last year a little bit about this, I did not come to you in enticing words of wisdom, and he could have done that, he was a highly educated, very articulate man. Several other places he said, I did not come to you in words, human words, but I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel of Romans 1.16 says, I'm not, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation there does not just mean getting into heaven. It means bringing wholeness, redemption, deliverance, healing, whatever is needed. Whatever God has that you need is included in that word of salvation. And he says the gospel is the power of God to bring that. One of the things that we lack so often in the church, especially in the United States, is we lack the power of God in what we do. We lack the power of God often in places in our preaching. We lack the power of God in our prayers. We can say good prayers, but we need to see the power of God in demonstration because a prayer is not just an obligation of something we do. It's talking to God, God who wants to do what you're asking Him to do. So therefore, we should see results. Results shouldn't be the strange occurrence. Oh my gosh, God answered my prayers. It should be the norm. Jesus' prayers were answered on the spot. He didn't step back and say, wow, look what happened. He just kept on. Now, the disciples did. Peter said, Lord, that fig tree you you cursed last night, it shriveled up from the roots. Jesus wasn't astonished. He expected his prayers to be answered. John chapter 11, he stands in front of the, the tomb of Lazarus and says out loud, Father, I know you always answer my prayers. I know you always. What confidence. Prayer is not some ob- obligation. If it is, you're doing the wrong thing. Prayer is communicating with a God who already knows what you're going to ask Him before He prays. It's the easiest thing in the world because the guy on the other side already hears perfectly. Wives, how would you like to have a husband that hears you every time perfectly? <laughs> Husbands, how would you like to understand your wives? <laughs> Or if we could teach those two things, we could make all kinds of money. But you've got a God that perfectly understands you more than you do. And He hears you. He knows what you're going to ask Him before you even form the words on your mouth. Not only that, Romans 8, 26 says He's put His Spirit in you 
to help you communicate back to him because it says he takes your feeble words and communicates the perfect will of God back to him. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that lives in you is searching the depths of the heart of God so he can communicate to you what's in the depths of God's heart. That's a perfect communication system. Why do we struggle in prayer? Because we don't do it enough. And we don't do it His way. Paul teaches about, in Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, I pray in the Spirit, and I pray with my understanding. I sing in the Spirit, I sing in my understanding. And there's a time to pray with your understanding, but there's a power when you connect with God in the Spirit. What went off of me last night in teaching on prayer last night here is John 4, where Jesus said these words, not talking about prayer, but talking about worship, but they're very close to each other. They're communing with God. Although a woman who was a Samaritan had no covenant with God, and, and he had just witnessed to her and really had, had led her to salvation, was leading her to salvation, and she tries to change the subject and said, well, you know, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, and, and, and we Samaritans work, worship here on this mountain. And Jesus said, there's coming a day, and it's even now, when it doesn't, it's not where you worship. But my Father is seeking true worshipers. What often me where last night was the heart of God. He's seeking true worshipers. And I believe it's not hard to extend that. He's seeking true prayers. prayers. And the key was this, who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Why is that so essential? Because the Bible teaches that God is a spirit. And when we commune with Him out of our spirit and connect with Him spirit to spirit, we're communing directly with Him. 1 Corinthians 14 around verse 2 or 3 says that when we pray, pray in the spirit, we're speaking mysteries to God. They're not mysteries to Him. They're mysteries to our minds because it goes on to say, for our mind is unfruitful. That means it doesn't understand what you're praying. And your mind doesn't like to, your mind's nosy. And so is mine. It wants to know what's going on. And if you exclude it from your prayer, if you exclude it from your worship, it will throw fits. So it'll talk to you and tell you this is gibberish, this doesn't make any sense, this is foolishness, nobody's listening, all this stuff, because it wants attention. And we're going into the study so that you can understand how the three parts of you, because you're made up of three parts, how God designed them to work together. And when Satan came into the garden and Adam surrendered the lease, the authority of this earth to him, what Satan was after was to take the divine order that God designed in you and throw it out of whack, throw it out of order. And when Jesus came, he came back to purchase the right order back. And the problem is, although he's bought it back for us, we're not living in it. And that's what we're going to learn how to do. And the reason this is so important 
is in the times that we're in because what keeps coming back to me everywhere I turn around, either it's in prayer or open my Bible, is warnings from the Bible. Then in these last days, there are perilous times. I'm not talking about the economy. I'm not talking about natural stuff. I'm talking about deceiving spirits. In First Peter 2 and Second Peter and Jude and other places, it talks about spirits coming into the church to deceive Amen. the elect. We're talking about the saved. And as a shepherd under the Lord of this church, I have a responsibility to do what within the power God gives me and the wisdom God gives me to help instruct us all so that we're prepared and we're not deceived. Because the very essence of deception is you don't know you're in it. And the danger of deception is you think what you see is right. And so you're all the more determined that you're right. But God has methods of providing checks and balances so that we have the opportunity to recognize that we're off track if we will listen and recognize. But you've got to know what to listen with. And what we're going to learn is these things are discerned in the spirit, not with the mind. And if we don't understand the difference between our mind and our spirit and our flesh, then we cannot do what the Bible instructs us to do, which is so critical in this day and age, which is to be led by the spirit. If you don't know the difference between your spirit and your mind and your emotions, you won't know which is leading you. I have people tell me, not all the time, but, but, but often, well, I, you know, I've, God's told me to go do this, and I feel peace about that. It's interesting, because often I don't. Well, why would you? Well, as a shepherd, it doesn't mean I boss you around, but God will give me usually some sense, if I'm responsible, for whether this seems right or not. Sometimes it's just a knowledge of what the Word of God says. And somebody says, God's told me to do that, and it violates what this Word says. I don't need to discern anything spiritually. God's not going to contradict His Word. But does that mean that often these people are, mis- are, are, are just, you know, they're just, they, they're, they want to get off into trouble? No. Often, they're, most of the time, they're sincere. And when they say, well, Pastor, I have peace about it, it's because they don't understand what, where that peace is that they have. Because there's a peace of mind, not P-E-I-C-E, but P-E-A-C-E. There's a peace of mind too, which we give too many of them away. We can't afford to give those things away. But there's a peace of mind. That's not the peace that the Bible's talking about. Because the Bible says in Colossians, let peace be an umpire. That means to rule your decisions. But it's not peace in your mind, it's peace in your spirit. But if you don't know that difference... It's very easy to be misled and think, well, I'm at peace about this, when in reality, it's not a peace in here. You haven't even checked in here. You're going with what's up here. And understand this, when it's not God, your body, your flesh is going to agree with your mind. So your flesh is saying, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. It's taking the pressure off of us. Lately, I've had a chance to talk to some people that are under pressure, and everything in them wants to get out of the pressure. And of course, when you get out of pressure temporarily, there's a peace. Just like when you stop hitting your head against the wall. It feels good. But that peace of taking the pressure off is not always the peace of God. 
First Corinthians chapter. I haven't got my notes yet. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen says, "For for for there is no temptation that's come upon us that's not common to man, with which God will not also provide the way of escape, so that we may endure it." So many of the times we want to get out of pressure, when God wants to take us through it, and there is a sense of peace and relief to get out of the pressure. And we mistake that often for the peace of God. So we're going to learn some of these things, and it really begins with just understanding what the different parts of you are. And several weeks ago when we started this series, I said it's kind of like if you get a, 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 a you go to you know, one of the stores and you buy something, you know, a bookcase or something like that. They don't come as bookcases anymore. They come in a carton like this, you know, weighs four tons. And you get it in your living room and you open the thing up and it's got 4,000 pieces in there and it's got this manual that was written by somebody that never had to put it together. <laughs> or they're mean and cruel. And then the good ones, though, have in the back this blow-up of the pieces where it shows you the completed thing and it has all the pieces. You ever seen that? Kind of blow, pulled apart like that with numbers on them so you can see what page this thing's instructions on? That's what we're going to do. We're going to take you and we're going to take... But you only got three parts. And we're going to pull them apart and we're going to look at them a little bit so that you can begin to understand why, what God's purpose, because God has a purpose for each one of those three parts. And when you can begin to understand God's purpose, you can learn to cooperate with His purpose for that. Most of the time we get in trouble is because we've got those purposes out of their proper, fun those pieces of us out of those, the proper function. And I ended last time by saying there are people out there, there are, there are denominations that will teach you that there are only two parts to us, body and soul. And, and I believe that the reason I believe that that's not true is, I mean, the, the, the best scripture to support what I'm teaching is this scripture here. But there are other reasons to believe it's so. Because if you just believe there's two parts of you, then here's the problem you've got. The Bible says in, in several number of places, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and all things have passed away, and all things have become new. Verse 21 says, he who knew no sin, that's Christ, became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches us, Romans teaches us, the Bible teaches us that when you come to Christ, God took your sin nature and put it on his son and paid the price for your sin on his son and gave you his son's righteousness. So if you now have a righteous nature, let me ask you this question. Have you ever done anything unrighteous since then? If you say no, you just did. You just lied. Well, if there's only two parts of me, then what part of me was made righteous? Not my body. So it had to be my soul that was made righteous. Then how can my soul, a righteous soul, commit unrighteousness? Well, the answer is if you have three parts of you, your, soul, your body, which always wants to commit unrighteousness, and you've got your spirit, which is your true nature, and that's the part that God renewed. That's the part that God birthed in you, his own nature. Well, there's another part of you. It's called your soul. And that's the part of you the Bible says to renew. We're going to talk about that. That's the part we have responsibility. God changed your nature, but you've got the responsibility for changing your soul. 
Your soul is capable of committing unrighteousness even though your nature is to commit righteousness. That's why that unrighteousness bothers you. As somebody come to me the other day all upset saying, you know, I, I just keep doing that. I just keep having these thoughts. I don't want to have these thoughts. You know, I'm such a terrible person. I said, well, why are you so upset about it? You're upset because you don't want to do that. That's your nature in here saying, I don't like that. That's wrong. I don't want to do that. So the problem isn't your nature. The problem is your mind isn't renewed. Your mind is not disciplined at this point to cooperate. Your, your mind is connected to your flesh, not connected to your spirit at this point. So we're going to learn those things. So we began to talk about these different parts, and we, did, and we ended up last time by talking about the fact that, that there are three parts to you. The other basis for, for my saying that is we are made in God's image, and God has three parts to Him. And we're going to see a correlation between His three personalities and the three parts to us. We'll see that. So we began to look at the first part of you, which is the obvious, is your body. In order to understand this, Last time we talked about, and you can put that first slide up, we talked about there's two realms of existence. That's it. There's a spirit realm and the material realm. The material realm is what Genesis 1.1 is referring to where it says in the beginning. It's in the beginning of the creation of a realm of existence that we call the material realm. It's the substance that this earth is made of, but it's not just limited to this earth. It's all of the solar system. Anything that your five senses can detect is of that mater this material realm. And we live most of our time thinking, talking about, aware of that material realm because most of the time we're spending aware of what our five senses are communicating to us. Because your five senses right now are communicating something to you. They're always communicating something to you. You may not always be aware of it, but they're communicating something to you. And they're always communicating something to you of that material realm. And because we spend so much time thinking about it, talking about it, dressing it up, cleaning it up, combing it, curling it, dress, you know, washing it, we're much more aware of it than we are the other realm. But the other realm is more real. And so we looked last time at some of these attributes. The material realm is detected by our five senses. The second thing we saw is it's made of the substance of this earth. In Genesis, when it says God formed man out of the substance of this earth, it's God reached down and formed him out of dirt. We're made out of dirt. Their body's made out of dirt. That's why when your spirit's finished with it, it goes back to being dirt because that's what it came from. The only thing that keeps that pile of dirt that you call your body alive is it's animated by your spirit and your soul that live in it. And when they're finished with it, it goes back to being dirt because that's all it is anyway. One of the things about this realm is it's temporary. It's limited by time. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, uh, says for we look not at the things, that are, uh, uh, the things that are seen, which is because it's something that one of your senses can see, it's the material realm. So we look not at the things that are seen. In fact, go there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, he's talking about some very difficult things he's gone through. If you ever think you're having a bad day, read some of the things he went through. 
And this is his attitude. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So he's aware of this inward man and this outer man. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, he'd gone through it for years, but in the context of eternity, it's a moment. When you start thinking you're getting old, measure it by eternity. I turned 65 last year. 60 didn't bother me, 65, 50 bothered me, but I didn't understand this. 65 is nothing. 75, 85 is nothing. Is nothing. Do I have 95? (laughs) Sold. Is nothing compared to eternity. I've shared with you when I was, we were first married, I've just, I think I'd just gotten out of law school. Maybe I was in law school. And, and I, um, you know, I was 23, 22, I mean, so wet behind the ears. And, and, and I'd go to bed, when i go to bed, every Sunday night, I would have the same thought. One week of my life is gone, I can't ever get back. I'm 23 years old. With a career in front of me and already aware that my life is slipping through my hands and then your mind projects forward. Oh my goodness. Once I got saved, that changed because now I had a future. This life is, the Bible says, a hand's breadth. Don't try to hold on to it. It's like trying to hold on to the wind. It'll go right through your fingers. Don't live your life trying to hold on to this life. In fact, Jesus said, if you try to hold on to this life, you'll lose it. But if you let go of it here, you'll have it. You'll enjoy it. You can't really enjoy life until you're prepared to die. Because you spend the rest of all your time holding on to something you can't hold on to and afraid of losing it, and you're going to lose it anyway one way or the other. So let it go. But you can only do that if you have a future and a hope, and that was Paul's, Paul's awareness here. But see, if you spend all your time just aware of the flesh and of this life, it's hard to let go for that because you haven't spent much time thinking about it or even talking to God who lives in it. And yet, that eternity lives in you. For a momentary light of flexions is, but is working for us a far exceeding eternal weight of glory. And this is the key, verse 18. For we do not look at the things which are seen. That's the material realm. We don't spend our time measuring things by the material realm and what it looks like. Bring it into another, another dimension. We don't spend our life and evaluate our life by CNN or Fox News or Facebook or YouTube or MyTube or whatever tubes out there. We don't, we don't measure what reality is. We don't measure because we're going to learn you are a foreigner, an alien on this earth. This is not your home. This is your assignment. You're here on assignment, but this is not your home. It changes your approach to life. It frees us. So we don't look at, by not look, he doesn't say when we get on the highway, I don't pay attention to that 18-wheeler coming down on me. That's not what he means. I don't govern my life. I don't make my decisions. I don't evaluate things by what this world says and by what, this, what I see. 
But we look at the things that are not seen. That's the realm on the left. It's a realm that's not detected by your five senses. But see, we kind of have this, this, this almost this arrogance that if I can't see it, it's not real. When in reality, that spirit realm is more real than anything your senses can detect. It's where God exists. It has no beginning and no end. It never changes. And it is more real than the material realm. And all, the, all that we know from the Bible is those are the only two realms of existence. And if you don't understand that, you can't ever understand spiritual things. If you don't understand that distinction, you will never understand spiritual things because you'll live your life based on what's in the right-hand column. And Paul calls them carnal Christians. That's not a compliment from Paul. I didn't say it. He said it. What he means, in fact, he goes on to say in one place, you're acting like mere men. You're acting like the world because that's what the world's like because that's the only choice they have. Okay. So what are these three parts? Well, the body is the part we're the most familiar with. We see in Genesis chapter 1, I already referred to tell you there that God formed his body out of the dust of the earth, the material substance of the earth. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And God took that pile of dirt that he made, and he breathed into it the breath of life. Now the word breathe there in Hebrew is a word that's pronounced nafach, which means to blow up or inflate. So imagine a balloon, one of these, these Macy's parades balloons, you know. They don't keep them blown up all year, I assume. They must deflate them, but sometime before the parade, they get out there with their helium tanks or whatever they do, and they fill these things up. And so they're filling them up, but you fill them up with whatever's in the container. So God took what was in his container, in his lungs, and breathed that, breathed that into this pile of dirt, and he became a living, animated, alive being. His breath, his life came from God, breathed into him. Now, because of the very definition of the spirit realm, your body lives by its five senses. The only thing your body can become aware of is something it can see, something it can hear, something it can touch, something it can smell, or something it can taste. If it's beyond that, although it may be real, your body can't tell that it's real. Right now in this room are radio waves. I'm sure there are other waves. There may be microwaves. But there are, are waves of energy in this room right now that you can't detect with your five senses. But does that mean they're not there? All we've got to do is bring a radio in and turn it on. And when it's tuned to 1220, we're going to get whatever's being broadcast from that antenna in the Seekonk River on frequency 1220 AM. It's there, but your senses can't detect it. Now, the spirit realm's the same way. Just because your senses can't detect it doesn't mean it's not real. So your body can only detect things that are of this natural, material realm. That's why your body is totally inadequate to discern spiritual things. Your body is completely, absolutely in inadequate to determine 
or evaluate spiritual things because by the very definition of spirit, your body cannot detect it. Now, there is a way you can become aware of it, and we're going to talk about that a little later on. The other part of you, the t- by the way, the title of this message, this series is called Spirit, Soul, and Body, but the title of this message is based on an old TV show. There was a TV show back in, the, I don't know, the 70s or something like that, of this, this astronaut that was in an accident, and they, this, they, what they decided to do was they, his body was broken, so they put in artificial parts to him, and he became known as the bionic man. All right? You're the bionic man or woman. There are parts in you that are not of this world, and that's what we're going to learn. You're not just what you see in the mirror in the morning. That ought to be good news to us. All right. Now, the second part of you I want to talk about is your spirit. And that's a little harder to understand because we don't have direct contact with that. Obviously, because it's of this realm. Your spirit, obviously, is of the spirit realm. It's made of the same realm that God is. In fact, your spirit comes from God. In in John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must, you must, you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. That word must in Greek is ne, which means it's absolutely impossible. Any other alternative is absolutely impossible. So there is no other way to come to God unless you're born again. But the word again in Greek has two meanings. It means a second time, but it also means a second time from above. So Jesus is not just saying you've got to be born a second time. He's saying that second birth has to come from above. Now Nicodemus is having trouble understanding this. In fact, let's go there. Let's go to, this is, we can take our time with this. We don't have to get somewhere in a hurry. I mean, we have to get out of here in a certain time. But we're not in a race to get through this. It's more important that we understand it. John chapter 3, verse 5. Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is... Excuse me, let's go back to verse 3. Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, or from above, he cannot see... Now, that's not with his natural eyes. He cannot know or experience the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, by the way, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was older. He was very mature. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, here's what's happening. Jesus is using the term born again. Nicodemus, with his natural understanding, and this is what happens with people when we try to handle spiritual things with our mind. With his mind, he's trying to comprehend what Jesus is talking about, and the only birth his mind has an experience of is when he came out of his mother's womb, or he may not remember that, but he knows that that's how birth takes place. You come out of your mother, you're conceived in her womb, you're carried in there for nine months, and you come out of her womb. And now you're telling me, i got to go through that again? So he asked this question, how can a man climb back up into his mother's womb and come out again, assuming she's alive? Because he's trying to understand a spiritual event, an event that's going to take place in 
out of the spirit realm. He's trying to understand that with his mind, and his mind is not designed to understand those things until God's spirit is living in him. And we're going to see very clearly in some things we're going to study later on how that's so critical for the time that we're in right now. Because there are going to be people in the, in the, in the church who are trying to deal with spiritual things with their mind. And they're not capable of it. And don't realize it. And what will happen is spiritual things will pass them by and they won't know what's happened. Doesn't mean they're not born again. But see, we've already learned that, that in these last days, people that are born again will be deceived. And we don't want to be among them. And so Nicodemus is, a good, is trying to understand Jesus' teaching about something that happens in the Spirit with his mind. And so Jesus, that's what Jesus wants to make clear to him now. And that's the purpose of this discussion. So verse 5. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say unto you, that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now he's making a delineation here. Born of the water means the water that, of the birth process. When the mother's water is broken, that, and he comes, the baby comes out, he's talking about the natural birth. I don't want to go into a lot of detail with that. You understand what I'm talking about. All right. But also born of the Spirit. So there has to be a birth in the natural. You have to have a body to enter the kingdom of God. And you have to be, bet, have to, the spirit person in you has to be born again, this time, of the spirit realm. So he said, Assuredly, unless one is born of water, that's this natural world, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now that is as clear as it can be in terms of there's no other way. Now he's trying to explain his principle. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So what your parents produced and what came forth out of your mother's womb is they produced your flesh. That's why it's not shocking as you grow up that you look like your parents because the part of you they contributed was your flesh. You have their genes in your body that gave instructions for what your nose was to look like, your ears was to look like, how long your hair was going to hang around, what color it was going to be. All those things are carried around by your genes, which came from your father and your mother. And, but they only affect your body because it's your flesh that you got from them. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, he's saying to the birth I'm now talking about, this second birth is a birth that has to become out of the Spirit, not out of your parents' flesh. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And now he goes into this discussion that if you don't understand the context correctly, you misunderstand what he's saying. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. He's not talking about weird people that blow around here and there, although there are weird people that blow around here and there. They blow in this church for a while and blow somewhere else for a while and then blow somewhere else for a while and blow back. That's not what he's talking about. He's using the wind as an example, kind of like I just did with the radio waves. 
He's saying, you're familiar, Nicodemus, with wind. You can't see it. You can't tell where it's coming. You don't see it coming and go, whoa, here comes the wind. Whew, that was close. I almost got hit with the wind. You don't know it's coming until it hits you. I remember one time when I was, we were dating, but I don't think I was on my way to see you. I was on my way back to college. And I had a car. My grandfather gave me this car. Oh, it was a nice new car, you know. And this, you know. But it was kind of light. And I was driving from eastern Pennsylvania up north, the northern side of Pennsylvania, on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And there was a place there, and it just rained. And I was driving along, and the speed limit then was 70, and I was probably doing something like that. And I was going along, and I was in a hurry to get back to school, and there's a place where I came between two hills over a bridge. And the next thing I know, I'm doing 360-degree turns on this bridge. It's not snowing. It just had rained. I don't know what happened. What I realized later what happened is there was a gust of wind blowing over that bridge. But see, if I'd seen the wind coming, I would have slowed down or stopped. But I didn't see the wind coming. I didn't know it was there until it, I felt it. And he's saying, to Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you understand the principle because look at the wind. You cannot see the wind coming. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it went. But what, does, what do we know? You don't know where, but you hear the sound of it. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. In other words, you can't see it, but you can sure tell it's been there. So we know the wind's real, but you can't see it. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. So he says, the birth that I'm talking about is a birth of the spirit man, and just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. So the real, and this is the real you, it's your nature. And, the, and you'll hear me when I've given an altar call and I'm explaining what's going to happen to somebody to explain to them. What we've tried to do with our life is we try to change our life, our nature by changing our outward actions. It's called New Year's resolutions. You overeat over the holidays and you're trying to get that belt over and you've got to, you know, it's now out another notch. And you're looking in the mirror and say, you fat thing, you know. You, you, <laughs> i got to do something about that. I know, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm not going to eat more than, you know, I'll give up desserts. I'm going to give up all this. I, 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 I. I'm going to do this by my own self-will. I'm going to change myself. And what we do is we try to change ourselves by changing our behavior. And you can succeed to some degree. But you can't change your real nature by changing your behavior. And you've heard me use this example. It's like trying to get an apple tree to produce pears by gluing pears on an apple tree. They may stick there for a while. Your change in habits may last for a while. You may get to be able to control your tongue a little bit and you may stop gossiping and you'll be able to do some of those things by your resolve, but eventually under pressure, apples are going to come because you're not a pear tree. You will produce what it is your nature to produce. And so God, knowing that, says what I've got to do is change their nature. So I'm going to take their old nature out. You'll see it in Ezekiel 
Let's see in Isaiah. I'm going to take their old nature out and I'm a heart of stone and I'm going to put in them a heart of flesh. I'm going to give them my nature. And I'm no longer going to write my laws and what I want them to do on stone and on paper, but I'm going to write my laws. I'm going to write what I, what's right and wrong in their hearts because they're going to have my nature in them. So when you're born again, God took your old nature out and put His nature in you. How come I'm not acting like it? Well, we'll talk about that. But you've got to start by understanding the deck is stacked. You've got His nature in you. You don't have to get some power from out on high or something. You've got it in you. All you've got to do is act like your nature. But until you understand you have that nature, you won't know to act like it. And you'll see, and you've heard me teach this before, it's so instructional to me that the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the churches that, that he birthed, that he started, most of them are written to correct things in the church. But he doesn't start out by saying, you bunch of idiots and turkeys, I hear you're doing all this stuff. Why are you doing this? You need to get your act straight. He'll start out by saying, you've forgotten who you are. This is who you are. I mean, Ephesians chapter 1 is one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible about things God's done for us, and He's correcting that church. In chapter 2, He talks about more. In chapter 3, He talks about God's vision for them, that Christ be formed in them. But it's in chapter 4 that we studied so much last year where He begins to say, Now, therefore, because of these things, because this is who you are, this is how you ought to act. Act like who you are. But God knows that He had to change our nature. So your spirit, man, is God's nature. It is your nature. Before you're born again, it's, the, it's your nature. It's not God's nature. But it is your nature. Psalm, uh, John 19, verses 30 and 32, it says that Jesus died by giving up His spirit. He didn't die because of loss of blood. He, didn't die, he only died because He released. Nobody took it from Him. He released His Spirit, and then His body died. Your Spirit is the source of life that animates your body. Our, our grandchildren just lost a great-grandfather on, on, another, on the other side, and we went to the funeral on Sunday, and, and, and the kids are asking questions like, well, where is he? Because they use cremators. There's a little box, and they're trying to figure out, where is he? You've got to explain to them, even if you see a body there, he's not in there anymore. That's an empty house now. That's a vacant house. The reason that house is not alive is the inhabitant has left. And the inhabitant is your spirit. It's what animates you. Psalm 104 verse 29 says, Take away the spirit and we die. You dost hide your face and we're dismayed. You do take away your spirit and we expire and return to dust and return to dust. So the way it's described is this. You are a spirit. You have a soul and they live in your body. I explained it to you before. Your body is like your earth suit. It's what holds you here. You have to have one of these to operate in this realm. God, and this explains that we can't really go into this at all tonight, but God, when He created this earth, created His man, 
breathed his life into him, the next thing he did is he put that man in charge of this realm of existence. And he delegated to him his authority to rule and reign over it. The proof of it is that man named every creature and God called them by what he named them. The right to name something is given to the one that's in charge. That's why you parents have the right to name your children. Your parents don't have that right. They may try to do it, but you have that right because you, they came from you. And so when God went by the names that Adam gave them, it was an acknowledgement that Adam was the ruler of this earth because God gave him his authority. But then in chapter 3, Satan comes in and Adam abdicates that authority and turns it over to Satan and that's what Jesus came to get back. And we'll talk about that down the road. But so you are a spirit, you have a soul, and they live in your body. And next week what we're going to talk about is perhaps the most important part of you. Your body's important because you deal with it all the time. Your spirit's important because it's the part of you that's God. But there's not a whole lot you can do with that. But the part we're going to talk about next week, which is your soul, is in terms of your day-to-day operations and your maturing, that is the most important part of you to understand because that's where your growth and maturing take place. That's where the battles take place. That's where the victories take place. And that's what Satan's after, and that's the part of you that God's after.